Episode number 232, Great Live Sound with James Wassum, part two. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Well, hey guys, welcome to Making Sunday Happen. I'm Carl. Thanks so much for being here this week. This week on the show, we will continue our conversation with James Wassum. He's the author of Great Church Sound and Great Live Sound. If you're an audio guy or if you lead an audio team at your church, uh, this week we're going to continue to talk about all things audio as well as how to build uh, your volunteer team. Uh, so if you're not an audio guy, you still want to listen to today's show because there's a lot of useful tips and tricks uh, for you as you build your volunteer team at your church. Uh, and I'd love for you to send this episode to the audio guy at your church if you're not one, because James is going to dive into a lot of uh, audio um, tips and tricks for for you. So if you're a pastor listening, uh, we would love for you to send this over to your production guy, your front of house guy, um, so he can listen in and get James's book because it's really going to uh, to help you uh, enhance your worship experience from an audio mix uh, standpoint. So I uh, would love for you to do that. Uh, before I take you to the rest of my interview with James, I want to encourage you guys to register for the Engage uh, conference this month. You can join over 11,000 church leaders, communicators, and other church staff for this free conference. It's absolutely free. And uh, I have the privilege of being one of the 30, over 30 speakers uh, at this event. Um, so I'll be speaking on how to enhance the screen visuals during your worship experience. Uh, it's about a 30-minute talk uh, with very practical information for how to up your game with your screen content. So I'll, I'll walk you through uh, several aspects of your worship experience, uh, including your pre-service announcement loop, uh, your countdowns, your announcement time on stage, and more. Uh, I'll be joining some other incredible speakers that I have no business being beside, uh, like Michael Hyatt, Michael Jr., Phil Cook, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, uh, and more. Incredible, incredible lineup, uh, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh, the conference is February 4th through 12th. It's a nine-day event. Uh, it's all online. It's all free. You can register for the conference at engageconference.church. Uh, we'll give you an affiliate uh, link in the show notes uh, for this episode. So uh, we'll link you over there. So just go to makingsundayhappen.com forward slash 232. Uh, that's this episode of the show. So makingsundayhappen.com. Click on episode 232 and we'll link you over uh, to get registered for this event. So that's where you want to go first, makingsundayhappen.com, episode 232. Uh, click on the link that we give you to uh, subscribe or to register, rather, uh, for the conference, and uh, you'll be good to go. The conference is absolutely free. Again, uh, fantastic speakers, uh, really, really great stuff. So be sure to check it out, February 4th through 12th. Go and get your tickets uh, now if you would. Uh, all right, let's jump right back into the second half of my interview with audio master James Wassum. Here we go. Okay, tell me about Soundcheck. Obviously, I, I'm a 
huge proponent of sound checking. So tell me why you think it's so important. Yeah, it'll it'll set yourself up for failure or success uh, right at the get go. Yeah. Um, you know, my opinion is there's actually two sound checks. There's the pre sound check for the sound tech uh, and the tech team. Uh, this goes for video or streaming, anybody that's working in that uh, environment. And then there's the sound check with the band and the worship team and and whoever else is part of the you know, production. Um, so uh, I always tell everybody, start with your pre-sound check checklist. If you can't get that done, your sound check's not going to go very well. And then your mix isn't going to go very well. Um, so the first step is the tech team should be the first people on location. Uh, if they're not there early enough to get everything prepped and ready, and if you can't do your line checks and power checks and everything else, um, nobody else has any business uh, being there. You can't go to the next step until that stuff's done. Um, so how, how do you organize and prep uh, for, for your sound check? And I know you mentioned your, your checklist, but kind of give me, walk me through a practical, you get there and what do you do? Yeah, so I get there and, and uh, I really assess it similar to how I would the workflow. You know, you start with your inputs. Um, you know, I start with my cable routing and management on stage. I get everything set up in the locations where I think they need to be. Hopefully I've got a stage plot or a fixed, you know, kind of setup where I know things are going to be. And I get things plugged in. Uh, this is before I turn on any gear most of the time, you know, I'll just get everything set up properly and I'll go back and start turning on my equipment and making sure that everything's working properly. Uh, and then I'll do some initial line checks. So I want to make sure if microphone one is plugged in, it should be making sound when I'm monitoring it on solo on the mixing console at input one or however I've got it staged. And, and it can be helpful having an assistant do that for you or with you. Uh, where you can have them tap on the microphone or go around and listen. Sometimes you can take, if you mix from an iPad, you can be on stage and see your levels come in and, and monitor it that way. Mm. Um, I even go so far in the pre-sound check to an, set initial monitor levels that I know might be uh, requested. Um, so I know the drummer mm. is going to need certain things in their mix, the guitar player, the vocalists, you know, so they you all need certain elements. Close. Yeah, I try to at least get a mix started. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, kind of forecasting what might happen later down the line. So I'm prepared mm -hmm. for it. Uh, and that's why it's important to show up early is, is so you can go through and uh, eventually you'd mentally document all this stuff. It just kind of becomes part of your flow. But initially uh, you, you want to use a checklist and write some of these things down and, and uh, keep track of that workflow. What are some of the things, and I know you've put this together in another resource, but what are some things in your pre, uh, your pre sound check checklist. Yeah, I, I'll get everything set up all the way from uh, you know obviously the cables, taping things down, the organization, line checks. I'll I'll even get stuff set up like uh, maybe I might might cue some of my reverb effects or some of my initial compressions compression settings that I might want to use. Uh, I'll even go so far as to set up all of the cues that I might use for mute cues. If I have a service schedule or a production schedule, I'll go get those pre-programmed. I'll go ahead and, and do the initial checks for the live streaming output or any recorded outputs. Um, I'll go through and check and make sure that all the loudspeakers are working properly. Um, I'll, I'll make sure the highs and lows for each loudspeaker are working properly because I've, I've run into situations where an amplifier, you miss a switch and all of a sudden the low frequencies or the high frequencies aren't working because that amp isn't on. 
uh, or your hallway or, or auxiliary areas aren't turned on or loud enough. So I go through and check all of those things. And that's just a line check. You're just making sure signal gets from point A to point Z, um, mm -hmm. however it needs to go. And that, that often saves most of the crisis moments uh, when right. you get into the sound check or the main mix because you've actually verified it. You checked it off your list and you know it works. Um, and if you go back to it, you find something not working, then it's either because you missed it or, or something failed and you know that where to start right. looking. Right. I think this is true for any aspect. I mean, of production uh, in general, especially uh, I mean, this works for video. This works for lighting. This works for audio. If, yeah. if you have that checklist in place and I even put it in front of the volunteer station um, so that when the volunteer gets there, this is the list that they work through uh, between their call time and when, uh, you know, downbeat or whatever, uh, or, or when the first song happens or run through happens or whatever, so that everybody is checking through stuff. And I agree with you. It totally decreases the amount of crisis that happens in the moment. So it's not, you're scrambling around, uh, a million different ways. You at least have a, a good head start on where to start if there is a crisis. Um, okay, tell me about how you tweak your mix. Uh, we're still in, kind of in, in sound check. How are you tweaking your mix based on an empty room versus when people fill it with a full house? Yeah, that, that's a big one. That's, a, that's one that gets new sound techs all the time. Uh, come in and be like, man, it sounded great in sound check. And then all of a sudden everybody showed up and two services later, my mix is blown apart and I, I don't even know what happened. <laughs> well, a lot, of, a lot of acoustic mass moved into the room. And um, the room could have warmed up, um, you know, there, there's more noise. So the noise floor is, is built up. And so you've got to overcome that with louder volumes maybe, or, uh, you know, because people are so good at absorbing high frequencies, uh, we've got to raise some of the higher frequencies or, or change the EQ a little bit because the room becomes maybe more uh, acoustically dead or, or more dampened. Uh, if you will. And so you've got to change your mix a little bit. So, you know, don't get so fussy and sound check building your mix because it, it definitely can change um, and you should be prepared for that. And, and this happens, it's notorious with bands. Uh, they'll come in and do the sound check and they never play or sing at the level that they end up performing at once you go live. It never happens. I don't care how many times you cajole them unless they're super professional. Um, and so you've got to be prepared for that. Build some headroom into your mix and mm -hmm. allow for that to happen. Lighting guys, this happens all the time, or, or video guys with the lighting guys, because lighting guys are going through just kind of some basic lighting checks maybe. And then all of a sudden when you get to the live event, it, it, the lighting systems, you know, the, the shades and the colors they use change a little bit. And all of a sudden the video guy is like, ah, oh, it it's not the same picture anymore. You know, I've got to recalibrate my, my white balance or whatever, you know, all kinds of different things. Same thing happens in audio once people turn up and, and start cranking or the, the congregation gets into it. You've got to overcome that. So that's yeah. a big part of it. Okay. And uh, you've touched on this before, but tell me how you turn from a headphone attic to uh, really listening in the room. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, how do you listen in the room? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, that, that addiction I had was certainly uh, uh, kind of corrected by a worship pastor that came up to me after the mix. Uh, you're doing a great job. 
but um, you spend a lot of time with the headphones on and I don't feel like, you know, we're really hearing what you're hearing in the mix. And I was like, you know what, you're probably right. <laughs> so I took that and, and really paid attention to that. And, and what I started doing after that is paying attention to really critically listening what was happening in the room. I would go and sit in different seats in the room. Um, even, even with a, a canned music track pre-recorded, go around and do that. But certainly during sound check, going around and if you can mix from an iPad even better uh, and really sit in different spots, learn your room and listen to how the acoustics interact. And if you get a chance on a Sunday or, or an event where you're not the one mixing, attend a service or attend an event where you're able to actually participate in that environment and see how it feels. Um, really get to know your space and, and train your ear. Try to maybe one time you might listen for the bass guitar, another time you might listen for the acoustic guitar or certain vocalists. You should be able to hear it in the context that it's supposed to be heard. It shouldn't stick out too much or it shouldn't be buried in the mix. So you want to really develop your critical listening skills that way. Tell me about EQ. All right. So you have a lot of tips on EQing your mix. So give me some practical tips there. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great segue from listening to the room to then EQing because EQ is where we get to actually shape that sound more than just the overall volume. So think of EQ as volume control for individual frequencies in your mix. Uh, you get to control to a pretty granular level what each type of source sounds like. You get to shape the the vibe of that instrument or vocal in the mix and the character of it. So uh, oftentimes we think of things in terms of say, something might sound muddy or tubby or boomy. Mm -hmm. uh, something might sound shrill or bright or brilliant or have too much air or hiss, or, you know, it might be uh, uh, drums might have that cardboard sound, you know, stuff like that. So we try to use reverb to help correct that. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, EQ. So, uh, mic placement is a big part of that if you're dealing with acoustic-based instrument like drums or vocals. Uh, if you're really up close on the mic, I don't know if I can do it here, but the closer I get to the mic, the lower my voice gets, whereas I step back from the mic, now it's a little bit more natural. Mm -hmm. um, as I step too far away, it gets thin and, and you know more harsh maybe, mm -hmm. pick up more consonants. So we try to pay attention to mic placement first, but then we EQ things, so that low rumble Every vocal microphone should have a low pass filter or uh, high pass filter engaged so that you're cutting off frequencies that are say 80 or 100 hertz or even up to 120, 150 hertz. Uh, we don't need to produce that low rumbly range in our vocals. Uh, same goes for most instruments. Um, that gets rid of a lot of that noise you don't need. Then you get into the EQ side of it, and we can play with EQ and shape that sound. So we might uh, might sweep across the frequency spectrum, and one of my favorite techniques is to boost your EQ a little bit, sweep it, and listen for what sounds bad, right? The, the idea here is that we can hear what sounds bad better than we can pick out a change for something good. So we pick the worst frequency sound we can get, and then we cut at that frequency. So we boost, we sweep, and then we cut wherever that frequency that sounds the worst is. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your sweeping techniques. Is there anything more you can give us on that? Yeah, um, and this does require what's called a parametric or semi-parametric EQ. Every digital console will have this, and even an analog console has what's called a semi-parametric 
parametric EQ or a sweepable EQ, as I like to call it. But you basically turn up or turn down the gain of that frequency band. And then you use the sweep knob that goes from, let's say it goes from 400 hertz to eight kilohertz. Uh, you sweep along that range and you sweep very slowly, uh, fast enough to hear a difference, but slow enough to pick out the differences. And, uh, and then once you find that, let's say you boost it, I don't know, 6 dB, or if you wanna get you know, a little bit more dramatic, 9 dB of gain on that frequency band. Once you find the, the worst offending frequency, you cut it. And you only cut it maybe three, six dB at most, most of the time. And that's enough to bring it out of the mix. The biggest thing I see sound techs do that don't really know how to use EQ is they're doing too big of cuts and they're doing too many of them. Uh, EQ is used as a, it's really a surgical tool more than anything. Hmm. And you should know why you're using a filter. You shouldn't just go and put a smiley face curve on your graphic EQ just because it looks cool or you saw some DJ do it at a club you know, down the street. Um, you really need to know why you're using those filters. And, and so use them judiciously and use as few of them as you need to to get it to sound the way you want it. Um, when I walk into a church and they've, they've complained that their sound quality is pretty bad and they can't get good mixes and everything, I start by wiping out all the settings on the EQ. I'm not even gonna work with them uh, until I clear out the EQ and then we start from scratch and hear how things sound in the room and adjust accordingly. Hmm. All right, let's get into feedback. How do we stop it? So uh, get us into talking about what, what feedback is. I think we should start there and then how to overcome it. Yeah, uh, this, this is a great reminder that feedback, uh, like many other things in the sound system, is part of a signal chain, right? You have your input, it goes through to an output, and as soon as that output gets reconnected to an input, it starts a feedback loop. So microphone, console, loudspeaker, loudspeaker back to microphone, back through that same system, it creates an infinite loop. That's what feedback is in its fundamental source or its fundamental definition. Um, you can get feedback from a variety of reasons. Uh, most of the time what we see in a live sound setting is microphones on the stage are getting feedback from either stage monitors or main loudspeakers. Oftentimes in tight environments or small rooms, uh, the loudspeakers are often not very far away from the microphones. So there's a, a proximity effect that happens there. And if I'm not close enough to a microphone talking into it, let's say I'm holding it you know, a foot away from my mouth, that allows more of that loudspeaker energy to get to the microphone. And so the chances of that feedback loop happening are much greater the farther away I am from the mic than if I'm up close on it. One of the worst things you see is, is pastors or singers that they hear feedback and all of a sudden they pull the mic away. That's the last thing you want to do. You want to put it right up on your mouth if that happens because then your head is blocking that sound and the microphone's getting more of the energy you want from your mouth and less of the energy from the loudspeakers. That's a good tip. All right, so you have kind of three quick tips to eliminate uh, feedback and you alluded to some of them here, but... Uh, kind of turn it down, move it, EQ it. Walk me through yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So the, the number one thing, especially in a crisis moment, if you're having problems with feedback, <laughs> just turn it down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cut it. You know, worst it. case scenario, mute it all, you know. I mean, it's, it's better to do that than to blow up your system or uh, uh, cause hearing damage. So uh, try to turn it down. Oftentimes, the funny thing with turning it down is that you often don't have to turn it down that much. Um, 
a lot of systems I walk into, they're, they're just on the verge of feedback. They're just starting to kick off and ring just a little bit. That can all go away by less than a two decibel turndown. You won't even hear the difference, but the system knows the difference. And uh, you know, the average person listening sounds great, but you've just saved that system that was on the verge of feedback. So uh, don't, don't be afraid to turn it down just a little bit. And your intelligibility will probably go up in the process because mm. it's not just sitting there ringing at this high thing. The other thing is moving it. So like we talked about moving the microphone or moving the loudspeakers. If you have a portable sound system, get those speakers out in front of the stage, get them farther away from the microphones. Um, I know some uh, churches have a thrust in the stage that comes out. And a lot of times there's a center loudspeaker cluster right over the top of that thrust in the stage or by the pulpit or wherever. And that can cause a lot of feedback problems if the system isn't tuned in properly. So uh, if you've done all those things and you're still having feedback problems, the last thing you can do is try to EQ it. And what we do with EQ is similar to what we talked about with that uh, sweeping technique. But instead of sweeping with a broad frequency bandwidth, you're really notching that out. So instead of a wide filter, you're notching it out to a very uh, defined filter. And then you sweep across until that feedback starts to go away. Uh, one of the temptations is, is once you've done all three of those things, oh, that sounds great. I'm going to turn it up. All that happens once you turn that up is it kicks off another feedback same cycle thing. at the same or a slightly different frequency, and you have to go through the process all over again. So once you fix feedback, keep the system's levels where they are and try to navigate your mix accordingly. Good. All right. Uh, we have, we've alluded to microphones, but let's get into microphone and microphone placement. Uh, not just maybe you know holding the mic, but actually on on the stage. Um, give me some tips there. Uh, maybe, maybe choices of mic and where to place it on stage. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I start with the drums simply because that uses the most uh, amount of microphones in, in a live sound scenario if you're not using an electronic set. So, um, you know, a lot of drums, especially on the drums themselves, you use a dynamic microphone um, on the snare or the kick or what have you. Um, overheads often use a condenser microphone. Uh, so you, you, because they're placed at three or four feet above the drum set or out in front of it. So uh, there is some microphone placement, um, you know, kind of guidelines to follow with that. A lot of drum microphone kits come with all the microphones you need to do that effectively. Uh, the biggest thing is approaching any instrument or vocal that you're miking is listening for what sounds the most natural with that microphone before any processing. So you put, plug the channel in, you, you put the microphone where it sets, and then you monitor it. This is where headphones comes into play really helpful, is that you can listen to that, solo it out in the headphones, and then have an assistant move that microphone back and forth. Like if you're uh, working on a drum, move it back and forth inside that kick drum or along the head of that tom or change the angle of the mic or if it's a guitar cabinet, move that microphone in and out from the speaker and point it at different directions. Try to get the most natural tone you can from that source. And at that point, then you know where that mic needs to go. So it's really a listening game more than a hard and fast rule. Always do this with this thing. I mean, eventually you find patterns that you can follow but ultimately it comes down to listening and getting the most natural tone possible. What about choir? Give me some advice on mic placement for choirs. 
Yeah, I I uh I have some terrible mistakes I've made with <laughs> choirs. Uh mainly using too many microphones. Um that that's a big one. And also in live sound scenario when you're reinforcing the choir, it's using the wrong type of microphone. Um I I once uh, mixed at a church that we had a choir that sat uh, or that stood right in front of the left loudspeaker cluster. And it was almost impossible to get quality sound reinforced from them because it was constantly trying to feed back. And mm. I was using large diaphragm recording studio microphones. They're great microphones, just not the right microphone for that application in that location. So mm -hmm. I changed the microphones to a, um, a shotgun style microphone or a hypercardioid pattern and uh, put that on there and spaced them out farther. I used fewer microphones and the sound cleared up immensely. I got less feedback because I used half the number of microphones and I positioned them appropriately. That's one of the things with choir mics is that the more mics you use, the more interference you get between the sound from the choir and the sound arriving at each microphone. And it can actually cancel out some of the sound if you've got too many microphones. So there's this rule, uh, and it's easier to see it as part of a diagram, which I include in the book, but it's the three to one rule. Uh, so if you have uh, a source, let's say from me to this microphone is one foot, the next microphone should be a minimum of three feet away from the first microphone in order to not have acoustic cancellation properties uh, with what the two microphones are receiving. And, and the other rule for choirs that is really helpful uh, is putting the microphone two feet in front of the choir and raising it up so that it's two feet over the tallest person's head and pointed down uh, at, the, at the middle row of the choir. And that'll help you get in the ballpark of where that best choir sound is going to be. Excellent. What about, what about instruments? How do you mic instruments? Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's, let's pick a, an acoustic guitar for an example that uh, may not have a pickup in it. Um, if the person is standing, you'll have a mic on a stand and they may, might be moving around. So you're going to have to work with the instrumentalist to stay in the right spot, right? <laughs> Same goes for uh, certain violin players that might move around in their chair or horn players that might be standing. If they've got a mic in front of them, they need to maintain a a, you know, a consistent distance there. Um, so with guitars and strings, I often use a condenser microphone and I'll place that um, kind of halfway between the body and the middle of the neck area. It really depends on the sound I'm going for. If you place it too close to the body of a, uh, of a, you know, a stringed instrument, oftentimes you get a lot more of that deep bassy kind of tone and resonance. And sometimes it's a little too muddy. Whereas if you move it up the fretboard a little bit, uh, and again, we're only talking six inches or, you know, 12 inches at most. A lot of times uh, you move it away from that body and you get a little more articulation from the strings and high frequencies. Um, you know, a lot of times with strings, I'll come in over the top or out in front of the stringed instrument and, and out of the way of a bow, a violin bow that's, you know, cutting across the microphone path. Um, so we'll do that. And then, and then other instruments like horns, uh, you want to place, you know, say a saxophone or a trumpet or something, you'd put the microphone near the bell of that instrument. Um, you know, flutes, uh, you might put near the, near, near the mouthpiece, but you'd want to be careful of breath noise coming straight into right. the microphone. So it, right. it's all about moving that microphone around to get the most natural sound. Gotcha. 
Um, okay, la last section, and that is installation and repairs. So give me some quick tips on how to keep your sound system running smoothly, maybe maintaining it well. So is it true sometimes that the simplest solution is usually the best one when it comes to fixing and maintaining our systems? Yeah, a lot of times it is. I think our temptation, especially as geeks, uh, if we've been doing this for a while, is to go after the elaborate solution, right? <laughs> and that uh, isn't always what's going to fix Sometimes the you just didn't uh, plug it in? Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, or what I like to call uh, in, in the sound check, be careful of the stupid button, you know, the mute button <laughs> that was left on and you just forgot about it and you feel completely stupid because you missed it. So, <laughs> right. but uh, often that that is the case. Yeah, uh, sometimes... Uh, uh, device isn't turned on or maybe it's only halfway plugged in because you're rushing through plugging all your cables in and didn't do the line check properly and missed a cable that's half jacked um, or you've got cables that are damaged or uh, maybe you didn't do some cable management and tape things down properly and then somebody tripped over a cable and pulled it out of the socket um, things like that you want to when you're troubleshooting stuff you want to go to the lowest common denominator and work back from there um, you know, sometimes when the sound system isn't working, the first thing people turn to is the mixing console and they're like, oh, there's got to be a problem in my workflow somewhere on the console. It's like, no, check the microphone first. Is, is signal coming into there and then it's coming to the preamp? Is the cable any good? Is there buzz or hum? And then we deal with the mixing console and then we deal with, is it coming out the loudspeakers? If not, let's look at the amplifier. Let's look at the cables mm -hmm. doing that. Try to break it into these very compartmentalized sections. And if you need to, build a checklist or a schematic because that will save an immense amount of time and stress when you start maintaining or repairing your system components. Awesome, man. Well, you are, uh, you're the audio king, buddy. Every time we uh, uh, want to move into uh, audio or talk about that, you're, uh, you're the first person I call, man. So thank you so much for um, all your tips and tricks and, and information. Tell us where we can uh, get both books um, and all your, your resources and training at. Yeah, so um, we've been talking about great live sound uh, today and the, and the book for that. And, and that's awesome, again, for anybody working in, in pretty much any audio environment. Um, and that's greatlivesound.com. Um, and that's available on the website. You can also get it on Amazon if you do a search just for the book that way. We've also got some video training courses and things like that. Um, and if you're in a church environment and you are a leader uh, of the tech team or you're a volunteer on the tech team and you really want to learn more about how to get great sound in the worship environment, uh, greatchurchsound.com has a ton of resources for volunteer teams and individuals. Um, and it's really uh, become a, a, a warehouse for that kind of knowledge. Uh, and I'm very passionate about getting that out there. So those, those two websites are the place to go. Tell me about your training courses a little bit. Yeah, so um, those were really, those came after the book was written and I got a lot of requests for, hey, how, how can I help train my team? And, and like, well, beyond the book, you know, I guess maybe I should do a course. So what I did, uh, the first course I did was actually um, a presentation that I give to almost everybody, regardless of what type of system they're running. And it starts, it's similar to this podcast uh, in, in that we walk through these basic steps and we build on them and really detail out each step and we provide graphics and try to get that going. So that's, that's called uh, 
live sound basics or church sound basics, depending on your platform. And then uh, for uh, church sound, uh, I put together a master class that really takes each of these topics and, and really delves into the nuances of them. We talk about compression. We talk about EQ, specific tips for instruments. We talk about reverb. We talk about you know, the sound check and how important it is to build your mix. We talk about the way you want to start crafting your mix and how you prioritize approaching that. And we even talk about how to help train your team better or one of the topics I know you're passionate about, inviting volunteers and expanding your team and really growing mm -hmm. that culture. Um, and so th those are really the, the primary courses. And then I've also teamed up with someone else you might have interviewed on here, um, Cade Young yep. over at Collaborate Worship. He and I uh, have an EQ crash course that talks only about eq and how you can use that more effectively in your mix so um we've got a number of resources available yeah. on that awesome man well great churchsound.com and great livesound.com are the websites james thanks so much for your time man really appreciate it today yeah absolutely carl it's a pleasure being here and thanks again for the invitation the show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com well, hey guys, thank you so much for listening and watching this week. Uh, really appreciate you engaging with the podcast. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at makingsundayhappen.com. Uh, and a lot of people watch the show on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, feel free to leave a comment under this post. Um, just uh, give us your feedback on the show, ask a question. Uh, we would love to engage with you there. Uh, I want to encourage you as we leave today uh, to check out our 1230 blog. Uh, it's completely free. It's a completely uh, free library of articles from incredible minds in the church space. Uh, guys like Stephen Brewster and Jonathan Malm and uh, Steve Dirks and uh, tons and tons of, of other guys. Um, uh, people from, from Passion, Jason Diba, uh, uh, all, all kinds of, of people that, that write for our blog. So really uh, grateful for them. Uh, they do it for free. Um, so it's, it's all about helping you guys. Okay, so 1230.media forward slash blog to check out. Uh, free uh, library of articles to help you. We've also categorized the blog. So if you go to that website, 1230.media forward slash blog, uh, click on category and also authors. But if you click on category, then it breaks it up into your first impressions team, your production team, worship team, teaching, all, any area that you serve um, that touches the worship experience. You can go right to articles that apply to you. Okay, so 1230.media forward slash blog. We would love for you to check it out. Absolutely free. Next week on the show, I welcome my pastor friend, Tony Valdez. Tony was a pastor in Miami uh, and is now working in North Carolina. He is the founder of B Church Ministries. Uh, and Tony will be sharing some tips for pastors all about spirit-led sermon prep. So if you're a teaching pastor, know of a teaching pastor, uh, next week, uh, next week's episode is right up your alley. So we would love for you to engage there. Tony gives some very, very practical tips on uh, how to uh, prepare your series, prepare your message, and uh, put the main thing, the main thing, and that's be led by the Spirit as you're uh, teaching and preaching to your congregation. So be here for Tony next week. Uh, again, show notes for this episode at makingsundayhappen.com. 
And uh, be sure to click on the Engage Conference link. We want to link you over there uh, to register for that conference. It's absolutely free. It's coming up uh, February 4th. Uh, So, again, makingsundayhappen.com, episode 232. Click on the, the Engage Conference link. Go get registered for that event. Completely free online conference. Great speaker lineup. Uh, thank you so much for listening and engaging with us. Uh, we would love to help you even more if you need help with anything related to your worship experience. You can give us a call. 910-849-1230 is our number. Uh, again, that's 910-849-1230. You can email me directly, carl at 1230.media. Uh, we would love to serve you. Go out there, uh, guys, and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.